everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's show where we cover all the latest and biggest news of the week. And what a crazy, insane, frustrating week this has been. Uh, obviously, Bayern Munich had the, the loss to VFL Bochum last weekend, which was uh, uninspired uh, and kind of useless. And then somehow... Byron followed it up with a even more uninspired effort against Red Bull Salzburg in the Champions League for a 1-1 draw. Uh, obviously, the emotions ran high. Uh, Byron fans are pretty frustrated about what's going on with the team. Uh, there's been a lot of people questioning the coach's tactics, the formation, uh, the front office, and the transfer strategy, the players and their abilities. It's It has really run the gamut this weekend. We are here for you, not just to vent but to kind of get our takes on things. So we're going to walk through our normal format and talk about the five biggest news items of this week, the five things that we learned this week. And let's just start out with the first one. Uh, Bayern Munich's front office is getting a little bit sensitive. Uh, One of the stories that we covered on Thursday was that uh, Bayern Munich sporting director, uh, Hassan Brasso Salihamidzic, said that, uh, well, not said, uh, he kind of ripped Lothar Matthaus in the the scrum on Wednesday at the game to DAZN, and that was captured by outlets all over Germany. Uh, Brazo was was not happy with the recent criticism that that Lothar has put upon uh, some of the the members of his team and the team in and of itself. To lay it out, Brazo said, of course, Lothar has something to say. Of course, he's an expert. I'm not interested in what Lothar says, and I don't care. We stand by our players and we talk to them. I don't give a damn about what Lothar says. So that tells you exactly where Brazo stands on things. And of course, Mathaus was very critical of Dio Upamecano uh, and Luca Hernandez. And those are two players that Bayern Munich has invested heavily in and that Brazo seems to be a little bit sensitive about. Upamecano has been uh, inconsistent at best. He's had some really good moments, but a lot more where he has not looked so good. Hernandez is an interesting case because on the field, he's been really good. Um, You know, he's probably been, along with Nicolas Sula, the team's most consistent defenders. But uh, Hernandez, the one criticism that, that Lothar did have that that might hold some weight was that Hernandez when he was signed the the transfer fee was probably too high but that his wage is kind of set off the team's budget a little bit and and caused some issues as players that were already on the team are now coming up to re-up their contracts so I think that Lothar has some valid criticism there I, I do think that you know Upamecano has not been great I don't think that he is quite ready as of yet to be that player that Bayern Munich thought they signed. I don't think that Bayern Munich thought they were signing a project when they brought in Upamecano. I thought they, I think that the perception of Bayern Munich was that Upamecano was going to step right in and be a starter from day one and, and really seize the position. He has not looked good enough to do that. Let's be honest. doesn't mean he doesn't have great talent. doesn't mean he doesn't have great potential still, but right now he is definitely not one of Bayern Munich's top defenders. The Hernandez criticism, like I said, holds a little bit of water, but, um, you know, Hernandez's play on the field has, has warranted uh, him being a top tier defender. 
you could argue day and night about pay and who deserves what. That's kind of pointless. But I, I don't really understand Brazo's sentiment and kind of being so sensitive about this. Uh, you know, another big topic for Lotar was that Nicholas Sula's situation was not handled correctly, which I think most people would agree with. You cannot let a player of that caliber get to the point where he can leave as a free agent. And, and Lothar was, I think he called that out properly. And, you know, he is kind of backed Sula and said that Bayern Munich should have done more to get Sula. There's obviously some kind of schism between Sula and the club that we have not been made privy to. And that has affected, you know, the entire process for Sula and, and the, those contract negotiations. But I don't think that Brazo nor the Bayern Munich front office needs to be overly sensitive at this point. I don't think they need to respond to every piece of criticism. You know, of course, we saw Uli Honus <laughs> criticize Oliver Kahn this week, which was really shocking and out of the ordinary as well. So Khan has not responded to that. And I think he's handled it the right way. I did not understand why Brazo decided to, to fire back at Lothar. I don't think it's going to change Lothar at all. I think he has become one of those voices for Bayern fans in saying things that, that he is seeing. He's an observer. He's a pundit. He is paid to give his opinion on what he's seeing. Right or wrong, he does that pretty effectively. And you can have any any of your own opinions about the validity of Lothar and what his opinions may or may not mean, but he does call out what he sees. He offers his opinion quite often, especially on Bayern Munich, and he hits all of the relevant hot topics. So I don't have a problem with what he's been saying. Razo clearly did. I don't think you need to respond as, as a team to something like that. I don't think it helps. And it just probably creates a little more distraction than is needed at an already tough time. So yes, we learned this week that Bayern Munich's front office at least part of it is a little bit sensitive. Good for Oliver Kahn for not falling into the trap of getting into a public argument with Uli Honos. So another thing that we had learned this week is that Serge Gnabry's salary and position on the team are very big issues in his contract negotiations. So let's start with the salary. Obviously, Gnabry is seeing what Kingsley Coman is making. He is seeing with Leroy, what Leroy Sané is making. And he's evaluating himself and, and he's probably thinking to himself, I'm just as good, if not better than that, because, you know, obviously he's a player. Why wouldn't he think that way this season as an outsider? I would say he has not been anywhere near as effective as Coman or Sané. Uh, it's been a down year for Gnabry. I don't think he's quite hit all cylinders yet. Doesn't mean he can't turn it around, but he has not been as good. And I think one of the things that Gnabry should be concerned about aside of his salary is his position on the team. With Julian Nagelsmann moving to a formation that is much more like a 3-4-2-1 or 3-5-2, depending on how you want to look at this, uh, you know, it doesn't call for, for regular wingers. And I think Gnabry, while he's considered to be a player that can either play striker or wing, I think most people think he's been most effective operating as a wing. I think that's where he really turned his career around by playing that traditional wing position. So now Gnabry is worried that he's being used more as a wing back in this formation and and that will affect him moving forward. And he is correct. He should be worried about it. I think the formation is a major issue for a lot of fans right now. I, I am not one to write it off just yet. It doesn't mean that you know, Byron should be doing it, but I think you have to give Nagelsmann some room to operate how he wants to, but it definitely, and this is something I'll touch on a little bit later. 
Uh, it leads to questions about how Byron is planning the squad. Are the front office and the coach aligned at the types of players that they should be acquiring? I'm not so sure. But like I said, we'll talk about that later. As for Gnabry, I think his his concern is legitimate about his position and also about his salary. Um, you know, I don't know that there's any way Byron can retain him without putting him up in that 15 million euro per season stratosphere. I think that that is kind of the baseline for him. And if he doesn't get that, this is going to drag out even longer, but his position is an issue too. Where does he fit? How does he fit? What position does Julian Nagelsmann picture Gnabry playing moving forward? Another thing that we learned this week was that Julian Nagelsmann is not happy with Bayern Munich's transfer strategy. Go figure, a coach is not happy with the front office and their approach to who and when Bayern Munich makes transfers. Now, we know with Nagelsmann, he was a fan of adding players during the winter transfer window, and that was just not something that Bayern was financially or, uh, I guess, strategically looking to do at this point. Uh, when the front office thinks that the coach doesn't need help and then the coach thinks that he does need help, there's definitely a void there. There's a gap in, in alignment. And I think there, there's a little bit of that going on. What we do know about this alleged frustration from Nagelsmann, and it's been reported on by both Sport Build and Sport One, is that it's not yet reached the point of Flick versus Brazo, right? So all parties are still trying to work together. All parties still have good feelings about each other, but there is definitely growing frustration from the coaching side that the coach might not necessarily think he's getting the players he needs to run his system. And again, I'll touch on this in a little bit. I think there is something to that. And I do think that the coaching staff and the, the front office needs to get aligned on some things, but if I am Nagelsmann and I want to run my system, which I was hired to do, I know that I need the types of players that can fit within that. Right now, Bayern Munich really doesn't have a wing back uh, or a player that's capable of being a wing back on the right side. Now, when Alfonso Davies comes back, I think he's a natural fit for that on the left side. But who do you go to on the right side? There's a su- the subtle differences between being a right wing back and a right back in a back four based formation. I mean, they're there. There are slight differences. I mean, there are a lot of similarities as well. But I think those little differences probably preclude a player like Benjamin Pavar from actually functioning as a, as a wingback. I think that Josip Stanisic, too, is a player that fits more as a traditional right back than a right wingback. All of this leads us to know that Bayern Munich is probably going to be in search of a couple of different kinds of players. but. At this point, Nagelsmann is going to probably have to to put his head together with Brazo and figure out what they're doing, what the formation will look like in the future, and if the club should acquire players to fit into that formation, or if the club should just go out and get the best players it can get and tell Nagelsmann to adjust to what they give him to work with. That doesn't sound like a successful, uh, the plan for a successful long-term relationship with a coach to me, so That is a a situation that we will actively be following, no doubt. The fourth thing that we learned this week, and surprise, surprise, it is transfer-related, Bayern Munich is prioritizing getting a defensive leader as its next center back and also an attacking 
player for the right flank on defense. And what we read into that is that they are looking for more of a right wing back player than a right wing, right back. Like we just talked about what kind of player would fit into that role. I, I don't know who Byron could get at this point. We've seen Sergio Dest as uh, one of the primary options to be a player there. It remains to be seen if he would leave FC Barcelona. We don't know for sure if that would happen, but this is a very interesting story that we saw. When it comes to that right wing back position, we like we just talked about, you need a player that's going to be a little bit more offensively minded than Benjamin Pavar and probably more than Josef Stanisic. For some reason with Stanisic, he seems to have fallen out of favor, which is something that is not uncommon under Julian Nagelsmann. Now, granted, Stanisic had started the season great, honestly. He had put in some strong performances. And then uh, we saw Pavar come back. We saw more of the regulars get integrated into the lineup. And Stanisic's role diminished. He got hurt, missed some time, and he's probably still working his way back a bit. But it does feel like he's no longer that option that Nagelsmann was so keen to use early in the season. And Stanisic isn't the first player we've seen kind of fall out of favor with Nagelsmann. We, Taylor Booth was a player who was practicing with the first team. He had uh, reportedly gained the trust of Nagelsmann. Nagelsmann liked him. And then all of a sudden, things got quiet. And next thing you know, Taylor Booth was moving on. Uh, and, and that's unfortunate. It really, really is uh, for Booth and for the club alike, because it seemed like he had been another young player that looked like he might be able to break through to the first team. Now we're seeing with Stanisic, he went from being a player that was working his way into the rotation as at least a sub every game is now not being used at all. And, and maybe it has a lot to do with his health and maybe not being back 100% physically. But either way, it looks like Bayern Munich's going to find someone to fit into that right wing back role, which again, there's got to be a, a trickle down effect to this roster. You can't have a million different players uh, as a right back or a right wing back at some point, like you have to start to sell off people or else you just have too much talent on the roster that becomes impossible to manage. And I know there is a, a big thought process in the BFW community, especially is like just bring in the best players and let the chips fall where they may, which is a great philosophy. You just want to acquire talent. But if you're trying to build a team, you cannot necessarily overload everything and expect it all to work out. It's a lot of pressure on the coach creates a lot of friction between the players themselves. I think that Bayern Munich is going to have to look at that right flank on defense and figure out what formation they're going to use before they just start going out and trying to acquire players. Now, the center back part of this story was especially interesting to me because it's something that I've kind of looked at for a while now. And with the, you know, with the departures of David Alaba and Jerome Boateng and, and before that, Mats Hummels, this back line has no verbal leader on the field. They have no one to take command. Nicholas Sewell is a huge person in stature, but he's not that vocal presence that you need. And he's leaving for Borussia Dortmund anyway, so you take him out of the mix. Diopa Makano was a player I think Byron really counted on to provide some of these traits to be that leader, but he's clearly not that. Uh, right now, it would just be great if Upamakano could get his form straightened out and so that he could be a little more consistent on the pitch before we can even worry about him becoming that kind of vocal presence and that leader that the back line needs. So if you take those two out of the mix and you look at Benjamin Pavar as well as a player that could shift in the play center back, I don't think he carries that vocal presence either. So 
Finally, you come back and you look at Luca Hernandez. All right. How is he doing on the pitch? He's doing great. Okay. He's probably been one of Bayern Munich's top two defenders along with Nicholas Sula all season. Hernandez is a player that always plays hard. He is reportedly just a really good locker room guy who is one of the people who really starts the welcoming committee whenever Bayern Munich brings in a new player. He's able to speak a bunch of different languages, which helps him communicate not just in the locker room, but on the pitch. But Hernandez doesn't also does not have that big commanding presence on the field. Is he fiery? Sure. Is he that type of stand-up leader who will command the attention of not just his team, but the other team? Probably not at this point. So where does Byron go from here? How do you find this type of player when you don't want to spend a lot of money? Well, you don't. You have to go out and spend money for this type of player. And honestly, there aren't many of them out there or that would be available this summer. One player who would probably fill that void from a physical stature standpoint and from a vocal leadership standpoint would be Antonio Rudiger. But it looks like that he is narrowing his choices down between Chelsea and Real Madrid. And it looks like, by all counts, he's really leaning toward re-upping with Chelsea, which would you know, make sense. It doesn't seem like he wants to leave London. Uh, but who else could you get? One name that immediately popped into my head was Matthijs Delight because he is a player that has filled a captain role earlier in his career. Obviously, he's the young buck among the Juventus backliners, whereas at Ajax, he was uh, you know, trusted to do a lot more at a younger age than he has been at Juventus. But Delict has a lot of, um, I would just say there are a lot of things going on that could prevent him making a move this summer. One, He's got 120 million euro release clause, which Bayern Munich would absolutely not trigger. Is that flexible? Sure. I'm sure, I'm sure if Bayern went to Juventus with an offer that made sense, they would pull the trigger on a deal. But does Bayern Munich want to shell out the 60 to 65 million that might push them to, to make that kind of deal? You know, another thing that we know is that right now Juventus wants to at least have Delict stay through 2023 and then look to sell him and would be willing to drop that asking price, that buyout clause at that point. But one, it's it really, it's really unclear if Delict really wants to stay with Juventus that long. And two, Bayern Munich is not in a position to really wait. They, <laughs> they want a leader now. They want a player that can establish himself and play that kind of role for them over the summer it's a great question as to who byron could get i'd love to hear what you guys think in the comments because i'm running out of ideas of realistic possibilities for someone that could fill that void for byron munich i don't know who it could be one of the things i talked about in my post the detail this was you know alfonso davies is he's a well-liked player he always plays hard uh, not the most vocal guy, but he'll be playing more of a wingback role as well moving forward if Nagelsmann continues to use that formation. So from a center back standpoint, if Bayern Munich wants to go out and get a leader, they're going to have to buck up. They're probably not going to be able to get someone on a free transfer. You know, one of the other big names we, we've heard is Andreas Christensen, but I don't know that he necessarily fits that type of role either. I think he's a good, solid center back, but maybe not one that can come in and be that commanding presence that you really want to run your back line if you're Bayern Munich. And finally, the fifth thing that we learned this week, and I learned this myself, 
and this is after going through all of these stories, in addition to the dozens of other posts we've had this week and watching the two matches, I'm just not sure that the coaching staff and the squad planners are in alignment on what the transfer strategy should be. And there's no better way to look at this than the wing situation, which we touched on a little bit earlier. But when you have Leroy Sané and you have Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry, you also have Jamal Musiala, who excelled as a, as a natural winger last year. Um, you know, you, you have all of this talent to play that position, yet you're going to run a formation that doesn't require those wings. So, one, I think you lessen the value of those players. You're, you're obviously now paying uh, uh, Sané and Coman a lot. You'll have to play. You'll have to pay Gnabry a lot. You, you re-upped Musiala. And now everything is changing. And it's changing because Julian Nagelsmann wants to run a different kind of formation. It's really been a 3-4-2-1. Sometimes it shifts to a 3-4-1-2. Whatever the case, it's a back three. It uses wing backs. And at this point, you know, Bayern doesn't really have a natural, natural wing back other than Alfonso Davies on the bot on the roster. Where does this relationship between Nagelsmann and Brazo go from here in terms of squad planning. I do not understand it. I don't get it. I don't get what the philosophy is. To me, it looks like that Brazo is just acquiring talent. And these and these players, the talent that he's acquiring or extending, they are all round pegs right now. And what Nagelsmann is presenting them with are square holes. And you might see some short-term positivity from players like Sané, who I think has done a good job of shifting inside and playing more narrow. Um, You might see some from Coman, who has been kind of tasked with either playing in that narrow position or acting as a wing back at times. But in reality, if you want to get the best out of those players, you have to play them at the positions that they know and play best. And to me, when it comes to Coman, when it comes to Gnabry, and it comes to Sané, they are wingers. But it's not just the transfer strategy that's having an effect. Sure, it becomes tough to really plan when you have a sporting director who is acquiring one type of player, working with a coach who is desiring to use those players in a formation that doesn't quite fit their talents. But using those three wings at the same time, like Nagelsmann has really been forced to do because he doesn't have any other options, it chokes the life out of Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski. Those two players have honestly been the best two offensive players for, for Bayern Munich for years now. It, it's not even close. When, when Even when Muller goes through those stretches where he's not scoring a lot of goals, he is consistently setting up Lewandowski and other players. Now, with so many attackers in the final third, those two players have become less effective. They have a ton less space to work with. Everything is congested. They're not getting as good of service because there's no space. And frankly, other teams are, in my opinion, more willing to let Sané and Coman and Gnabry beat them rather than Muller and Lewandowski. To me, this plays just into what these other teams want. When you have Lewandowski, who is the best player in the world, and you're using other people ahead of him, and they become bigger options in your offense, there is a problem. And Nagelsmann needs to address that problem. And to me, a lot of this does stem from this misalignment in the squad planning. And I don't know what, the, what the, the solution is moving forward, right? If we look at a position like midfield, we can see that the solution 
is Kimmich and Goretzka working together. They operate great together. They have a good working relationship. They understand their roles. They cover for each other when needed. That's something that Byron can solve. Um, but what did worry me about looking at that midfield is that now all of a sudden we're hearing that Jamal Musiala, who is in my mind, is one of the best attackers on the team is now going to be shifted to be more of a playmaker in the mold of Tiago Alcantara. And if he's going to play that eight role, he then becomes in direct competition with Leon Goretzka. So this all is just getting muddied and muddled all at the same time. Where are these players going to find each other? Where are they going to fit in? At this point, it just doesn't make sense. And I'm not sure if the front office fully supports uh, Musiala being used as more of a central midfielder than an attacker. Is that what the club signed him up to be? Or did they just sign him to acquire talent and retain him to, to be this kind of shiftable piece that they can mold into whatever they want? And who's to say if things don't work out with Nagelsmann, the next coach doesn't come in and want to shift Musiala back to being more of an attacking player. To me, there is no vision and no direction on how the club is putting this team together right now. If there is, it's certainly not aligned between the front office and the coaching staff. As much as the club might want to really say that there there is that alignment, I just don't see it at this point. I don't know game to game if Bayern Munich is going to roll out a back four or back three. I don't know who is a true center back anymore, who is able to play wing back. I don't know who can play as an an attacking midfielder consistently. I don't know why you need all of these high-priced wings if you're not going to use them as wingers. And I don't want to knock those players, the three wingers, because I feel like at a lot of teams they could fill that attacking midfield role. But right now, the way things look on the pitch – As much as I love being an all-out offensive team and I love seeing a team just go for it offensively and try and beat other teams in the submission with their offense, I'm not seeing that cohesion. I'm seeing a lot of frustration from Lewandowski. I'm seeing Muller become less effective. He looked like one of the best players in Europe just a couple of months ago to now looking like he doesn't know how to operate in his own offense. And this is troubling to me, and I think it's something – that Nagelsmann needs to sort out. I think he needs to get with Brazo. I think they need to develop what the plan is moving forward, what the formation will be and who fits that formation and who might need to go. I think Bayern Munich has kind of handcuffed itself a little bit when you lock down Sané and you lock down Coman uh, to play roles into this next generation of Bayern Munich, but you're not going to feature the position that they actually play best. I think there's a problem. So when I look at Gnabry's situation, I absolutely think he's justified in worrying about what his role will be and how much he'll be paid. And at this point, as much as I thought it was a done deal for him to re-up, I'm starting to actually think I could see the club letting him move on. He's clearly the third of the three wingers right now behind Coman and Sané. I keep saying wingers when they're really not playing that. but um. You know, it really makes me think and wonder if the club has a clear direction for what Gnabry's role will be and if they are comfortable paying him what he wants to be paid. And if they're not, I think this is going to be a situation where we could see him walk away. So this will be, in my mind, one of the big transfer sagas of this second half of the season. Now that we know that Nicholas Sula is out, what happens with Serge Gnabry is really going to be the thing that most people focus on. And in the background of all this, let's not forget that both Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski need to re-up their deals. 
So if they're not feeling like they're going to have big roles in the offense, you know, I think we have to look at the at least slim possibility of both of those players could start to weigh whether or not they fit in with this new generation of Bayern Munich in this new direction, if there is one. So uh, those are the things that I think I learned this week. That last point, I learned a lot about myself because I legitimately don't understand what the working relationship and alignment is between the coaching staff and the uh, sporting director at this time. So at this point in the program, we usually go through and talk through uh, a little bit of entertainment before we close it down. So I'll do that. Last week, I talked through Ozark with Jake and Jake was not exactly caught up on it. So I kept it really vague and uh, don't want to dive too much into it for those of you who did not see it, but it got the big thumbs up from me. I like the way that the direction is heading of the show. The acting, as always, was, was key. So right now I am still working on the book of Boba Fett and finishing that off. Been really slow to work through that. As I've said a million times, my streaming time has not been great. Um, streaming, talking about what I'm watching, not my actually, uh, not the actual urine stream I have. I'm not that old yet, okay? I'm still, <laughs> I'm still functioning. Um, but I haven't had a lot of time with that. And, uh, you know, so I'll be working through that. And I'll also be picking back up the last season of Walking Dead, which uh, I've been hate watching for a while. I did like the show a lot when it first came out. And, you know, much like Bayern Munich's coaching staff and front office, the direction kind of went off the path a little bit. And I haven't really liked it as much over the last maybe four to five seasons. Uh, which is disappointing, but I stuck with it just because I'm one of those idiots that has to finish something out once I start it. So I will be back and watching that. And uh, the best news from an entertainment standpoint is that now it looks like we have a target date on Better Call Saul, which is something that I have been uh, really anticipating. And of course, you know, there were some setbacks with that. The production of Better Call Saul, we did see, um, you know, uh, Bob Odenkirk have, I believe it was a heart attack on set. So, or at least afterward. So it was, uh, really disappointing for him and, and scary for him, uh, obviously. And, and, you know, he's such a great actor and a good character on that show. Uh, you know, it, it really, you know, it was really distressing to see what was going on with him, but, you know, he's back and better now. And I'm sure, you know, having to finish off the season in the way that they did. I'm sure that they, uh, they really got back to filming and did a good job with working through everything that Odenkirk was facing. Of course, the Better Call Saul final season will be split into two. That first part of the last season will debut on April 18th, which is my older daughter's birthday at 9 p.m. on AMC. So this will be uh this will be interesting. Part two of that final season will roll out on July 11th. So there won't be this big gap, but I'm sure that the writers who have been extremely brilliant, not only through Better Call Saul, but through Breaking Bad are going to, to leave us wanting more and more uh, in between those two seasons. And I really do anticipate this being a satisfying ending for anyone that's been a, a big fan of the Breaking Bad universe, which includes, of course, this and uh, this show and the original Breaking Bad, and also the uh, one-off movie El Camino. So, um, you know, again, I'm really looking forward to this. This is probably the most excited I've been about a show in a long time, and I'm really anticipating uh, what this last season will will look like. Of course, we know how it all ends up because 
you know, when this show ends, Breaking Bad picks up, but there are still so many little plots open. There are so many different storylines for how uh, Saul Goodman becomes that final version of himself that we see in Better Call Saul. And then we also get to kind of see, you know, when, when we see those flash forwards to what Saul Goodman has been up to while in hiding in Omaha, we'll get to see where he's going with that and how that ends up for him. I have a couple of theories. I don't really like to think the way I do about it, but uh, things might not work out so well for Saul Goodman at that point. But uh, hopefully we get to see, you know, how Better Call Saul wraps up. We get that flash forward of what's going on with Saul Goodman in the future, and we get to see how it leads right into Breaking Bad. So uh, I'm super psyched about it. If you guys are big fans of Better Call Saul, let me know, because we could definitely chat about that sometime on BFW. So as always, thanks a lot for listening. Please enjoy the game this weekend between Bayern Munich and Greuther Firth. That one should be um, fun for Bayern Munich fans because we really need to see how Bayern responds to two consecutive uh, poor outings. So that will be a lot of fun. Uh, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at the Varian FB Works. You can get Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71 You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. And you can always, oh, you can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. And you can always get Samarin and Schnitzel on our site with the posts that they write. And you can hear them on our podcast network as well. Uh, you know, please enjoy your weekend. Please have fun watching the game. And please check out BFW for all of our latest and greatest coverage on Bayern Munich in Germany and also all the great coverage we will have on the game this weekend. So it was great uh, being able to talk to you guys again, and we will see you next time.